0: Let's go to the Lord and pray together. Father, we come before you right now as we come recognizing the depth of our weaknesses, our inadequacies, our need, and our need cannot and does not come from us. It comes from You, it comes from your Son. And so we come glorying in Christ this morning. We come amazed at your work and your hand and how you love us so incredibly, so bountifully, so undeservedly, and we just wonder at your love. We wonder at the cross. And so we come this morning desiring their powerful, life-changing, heart-piercing Word of God. We do not need a wisdom that is simply bound to the words of men. May we not depend on lofty speech or wisdom, but may we know Christ and Him crucified. How weak I know I come every Sunday, preparing to preach your word, studying and laboring over your word. And yet hourly, daily, moment by moment, I see my weaknesses and how deeply I am dependent on you for absolutely everything. And Lord, I need you and we need you today. May you work in our hearts by your spirit this morning though I preach and we preach in weakness, may your spirit demonstrate your power today. Not because of lofty words or the words and oratory power of men, but by the power of the spirit of God. And so help us that our faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And so we pray and we ask that this morning, we pray a simple prayer, demonstrate your power through the cross of Christ and it's preaching, the preaching of the cross of Christ. And so be with us now as we turn to your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles up to the letter to the Galatians. And we will be, and we are in the final chapter of Galatians, chapter 6, and the final verses of Galatians, verses 11 through 18. So when you think of the Christian life, what comes to your mind? If someone asked you, even right now, to write out what you believe the Christian life looks like, you know, what, what it is about, you know, what, what would you write? And so, you know, I'm not talking about, like, writing a book here. So You're not going to be laboring, you know, writing chapters of what the Christian life looks like, and not even a paragraph, but perhaps in just a sentence or two. What would you write? How would you sum up what is the Christian life? Now perhaps with your answer in your mind, what if we kind of just went and expanded that out even farther? What if we asked and we went out and we asked Christian evangelicals, and not just in general but Christian evangelicals in America, what their vision for the Christian life looks like? You know, I wonder what kind of responses we would have. And let's just kind of go out even further and expand that question even farther. Let's say a Christian perhaps living in the thick of persecution. Like right now, like this morning, they know that maybe someone could burst in on them. Because the word is being preached. Because they're Christians. And so they're in the thick of persecution perhaps in Afghanistan or North Korea... Or Somalia or Libya? And so how might they answer that question? This is what the Christian life is about. Now as interesting as all those answers would be, and perhaps especially as we hear them all, and we hear the Americans' answer for what the Christian life is, or the brother or sister in the Lord who is suffering for Christ, and what they would say. As we come here to these final words of Paul's letter to the Galatians, let's consider how he answers this question. Let's see what Paul has to say and what he says is definitively what the Christian life is about what he sets forth here as his one and single boast, as his his very life, that he would give up his life for this, and that on every single level, it is defining him and defined him in everything he did. So let's hear his answer here, beginning with verse 11. So may God bless The reading of his spirit-inspired word this morning. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh... ...who would force you to be circumcised... and ...only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ... For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. So there it is. (laughs) So as we read Paul's words here, what was it? What was his view of the Christian life? Now, As we consider that, we don't really need to guess how Paul might answer that question here. He makes it abundantly plain that his vision, it is not filled with comforters and couch cushions, (laughs) but he plainly has one path for the Christian life, and it is not a new one. It is one that we hear again and again, and it is one that we hear in the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one that Jesus plainly sets forth. And what is that? It is this. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, Amen. is what Jesus says. And so here, Paul, he ends his letter in many ways, bringing it full circle. He has walked through many things throughout this letter. And now he is coming back to um, a variety of points that he has made in this letter. And so it ends then as it began. And wow, it began with this, it ends with a sense of earnestness. And if you forgot how he began the letter and the kind of earnestness he had, how did he begin there in Galatians 1.6? I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. So is that earnest? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. So he began with a great deal of earnestness. This letter to the Galatians. And now he ends it as well with a sense of earnestness. And so it is with verse 11. That we see our need with these last verses. To listen well. To listen well. Now Paul's words here. In verse 11. They might be rather confusing to us. <laughs> like okay. I mean, what do you mean? You're writing with large letters. (laughs) That's nice, Paul. Were you you writing before with small letters? I mean, what's the difference? Like, what do you mean by large letters? And so we need a bit of an explanation here as we kind of come to Paul's last words in Galatians. And so you see, at this time, it was a normal practice in Paul's day to use someone called um, Aminu. I can't say it. <laughs> it's a hard word to say, but I'll say it. Aminunsus. If I said it right, you can look it up later. But basically, who was that? Well, this was someone who was essentially a copyist. They would write down all the words that Paul was saying. So as he dictated to them, they would copy his words down A letter, and essentially, pretty much all of the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament were written this way. They were dictated to this copyist, and they wrote them down. Well, so here then, what Paul is saying is that he takes up the reed pen and he writes the conclusion here himself. So he takes it out of their hand. He doesn't write grab it. But he takes it up. And he writes these words. And that means that his words here, they come with an added importance. An added earnestness. And even perhaps an added plea that you may hear with these final words, all that he has been saying throughout this letter, that you would not miss what God has spoken. And so as we see this, receive its words with all your heart. Receive its words with all your heart. And not just as Paul's words here. We would do well to remember that these words are not merely the words of Paul in this letter. They are the words of the spirit of the living God. God has given us the letter to the Galatians and every word is inspired by the Spirit of God. And so we need to receive them and drink them up this morning. And so in view of his last words here and even in view of this whole letter, it will not do for us to come now at the end of this letter and to receive half of its Message for us to receive half of the gospel that Paul preached. You know, as my former pastor would say and still says, you know, if it's close to the gospel, it's not the gospel. And so, Paul, he has set plainly before us in this letter, not part of the gospel, he has set forth. The whole gospel. And it does not. And the gospel never does this. It never just simply calls for half of your heart. (laughs) That's not what Jesus ever does. You don't say, just give me part of you, just part of your life. You know, just half of your heart. That's just fine. Which I think if you asked, and maybe not just... Like, ask, I think if you ask throughout America what Christian, how Christians would say, what they'd say the Christian life is, for Christian evangelicals, they may give you the right answer, but then their life says something entirely different. It doesn't say, Christ is all my life, it would say, Christ is half my life. You know those comfort and comforters and couch cushions you mentioned a moment ago? I want those. That's what their Christian life would look like. And that's perhaps what it would be defined as if we backed away and just simply looked at the lives of believers today. And so we don't need something close to the gospel. We need the whole gospel. We don't need half-heartedness. We need wholehearted reception of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ into every aspect of every part of all of our lives in our thinking and our breathing as we drink orange juice in the morning, we drink in view of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that gospel does not say more is needed, but it declares that Christ is all you need. He is all you need. In Jesus is cool drink, is revival, is life. In him is grace. In him is eternal joy. Christ is all you need ever. And so as Paul does here, As we come to these final words, may we lift high the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And not just this morning, but in your life, in your life. And so with Paul's own hand, he writes these words for us that we might listen well. As he reiterates all of these major themes that he has given not just so that we could kind of like, up. Oh, well, I've heard this already, Paul. You know, I'm good now. Let's move on. You would be missing this entirely. He is writing these words, italicized. Hear these words, people. And so he writes these words that we may lean in and listen better and harder and more not less. And so listen well, saints, this morning. And so how sad would it be that if we have heard his words here and we go away still following a Judaizer's message. And if you, don't, if you have not seen that that is a threat to you, by now, hear me very clearly, it is a threat to you. Many believers or people who profess to believers throughout churches everywhere, not just in America, but everywhere, are living the Judaizers' life. And what did Paul say? They've abandoned the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so friends... As we come to these last words. Seek the Lord. While he may be found. Call upon him. While he is near. As Isaiah tells us. And so may we see clearly. The lifeless message of the Judaizers. And it is lifeless. It's no exaggeration. All who rely on works of the law, they are under a curse. As Paul told us in Galatians 3.10. And so we must be careful that we are not following them, the Judaizers, and living according to their message. And so from the beginning of this letter until now, we have heard and we have seen the signs, we have seen these billboards that have been declaring to us, do not follow them. Do not go that way. Do not listen to them. Their gospel is false. And so Paul, he warns us as he reiterates all of these things here, he warns us and he warns us first to beware of their fleshly gospel. Beware of their fleshly gospel. And Paul, he doesn't mince words here. He just tells us plainly what the Judaizers are about. They're only aiming at giving a kind of good show of the flesh. They're not looking out really for the Galatians. They're not really looking out for you. Those who are going around saying look at my holiness, look at my godliness, Look at all the rules that I've added to Christianity. Look at all my lists. You need to be like that. They're only making a good showing of the flesh. And they're not looking out for you. And what was it that the Judaizers taught? They taught that you would need to be circumcised, that you need the law, plus Jesus. And if you have those, then you're saved. Then you are a child of Abraham. Then you are a part of the people of God. And that message was a message that is based all on you. It is a message based on what you do. It is a devilish self-confidence. It is a confidence in a works-based Hollow message. And they do this anywhere you find this. They do this for this reason, verse 13, that they may boast in your flesh. And so they do it so they can go around saying, hey, you know, did you hear how many people were circumcised this week? Look what we did. You know? Look at us. And so their boast is in themselves. They want people to see how great they are. How spiritual they are. The depth of their supposed godliness. Yet it is empty and it is false. And so beware... of their fleshly gospel. And then second, beware of their crossless gospel, their crossless gospel. And and so why would they have you be circumcised? Why would they have you perhaps follow their way? Verse 12, only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so they are trying to avoid persecution, persecution, and so, if they demand that Christians they be circumcised and follow the law, then the Jewish rivals they won't have a problem with them anymore, <laughs> you know. And so, their their political motto is, you know, appease, appease, appease. I'm afraid that that may well be the motto of many Christians today. They will follow Jesus so long as there is not a cost. They will follow Jesus so long as there is not a cross. So long as they won't, perhaps, you know, lose reputation. So long as they maybe won't lose their job. Perhaps so they won't lose their income. And perhaps so they won't lose their home. They won't lose, really, anything at all. That's what they want. And there are believers all over the world right now that are living a cross-filled gospel, who are losing their jobs, losing their income, their family has rejected them and says, oh yeah, by the way, if I see you again, I'm going to kill you. But that's not what the Judaizer is about. No, no. (laughs) I I don't want to lose any of those things. Don't let me lose my family. Don't let me lose my reputation. Don't let me lose any of these things. Just give me comforters and couch cushions. And so that's how they live out the Christian life. And I wonder, as we have drank in the American dream and all variety of American cultural things, if that's essentially what our view of Christianity is too. You may tell me right now that it's Jesus and the cross But it's really just comforters and couch cushions. I won't pay anything for Jesus. I'm not going to share Jesus because it's too risky. I'm not going to say that this is what the Bible says because it's just too risky to say that God made man male and female. That's too risky. And by the way, all of that is massively important in the Bible. It began with a marriage between a man and a woman, and it ends with a marriage between Christ, man, and his church, woman. So if you think it doesn't matter and doesn't directly tie to the gospel, oh my, it does. So may we beware of a crossless gospel. And then third, beware of their Christless gospel. Though they might flower up their message with an alleged nod to Christ, make no mistake that Christ is absent. If he were there, he would have no rivals and there would be nothing else required. It would be just Jesus and him alone as the basis, as the foundation, as the all for salvation. And yet here are the Judaizers adding and adding and adding. And so before us are many warnings here that Paul is giving, he is pleading with us, don't follow them, don't go that way. Way. And so as we come to these final words, may we hear these warnings. And in contrast to the lifeless message of the Judaizers, breathe in the fresh air of the life-giving message of the cross of Christ. Amen. This is the contrast Paul he has displayed. Throughout this letter, in the cross is grace, in the cross is life, in the cross is forgiveness. So it is in this we are to boast, and we are to gladly boast in the cross. Boast in the cross. And so, there in verse 14, Paul. He does not distance himself from the cross. But what does he do? While the Judaizers are going like this, he's going like this. He embraces it. He loves the cross. And he kisses it even. I live out the cross. So unlike the Judaizers, it is his boast in the cross this is why this verse is so central in the letter to the Galatians. He said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. The cross, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, and you could put your name there, the life Andrew now lives in the flesh. I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you, Lord. And so Paul no longer lives. It is the cross before him and the world behind him. He is crucified to it and it to him. And so the world, yes, it has its agendas and we all feel that. We all see it everywhere. And it has its comforts. And it has its hopes. But that is not to define you, believer. That is not to define us. Instead, before us is the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is our agenda. It is our comfort. It is our hope. Not us. Not the world. The cross. In it we die to self and now live to Christ. And so the world may and will roar at you and in in our churches. It may and does decry God's word. It may say and do all variety of things... But our hope and our home is not in those. It is Christ. Here, there is the Christian life. And so we gladly, and may we gladly, boast in the cross this morning, and may we gladly boast in the new creation. Verse 15. It's not circumcision or uncircumcision. As Paul says there, those do not count for a lick, for nothing. They don't make you part of the people of God. It is only Christ. And in Jesus, what it says here, that we are new creatures. We are a new creation. In Him we are new, we are born again and God does that. God did that. And this is what Paul, he says as well in 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation. The old has passed away behold the new has come. So in Christ, we are alive. You were spiritually dead. No heartbeat. But because of God, because of Jesus Christ, your heart beat again. And if you know him, you have that life this morning. So in Christ, we are alive. And we're not living according to the present evil age. This age is not to define you, but we live according to the new age of the cross of Jesus Christ. We aren't living according to the old age of law and circumcision. Christ has come, and so as new creatures, new creations in Jesus Christ, we are called then to walk by the power of the Spirit of God. That is why I began my Prayer, praying that God would demonstrate His power, not in my words, in great oratory or ability, but in the power of the Spirit of the living God. Amen. Because that is what we need. And that is how we live out the Christian life. As we've seen. And then third, we boast in the mercy, peace, and glory of being a child of the promise. And so we see this in verse 16. Now to be honest, this is a challenging verse. <laughs> I mean the first part is mostly clear and I think we can get it readily enough. You know, the rule Paul is talking about is the new creation through the cross. And so through Christ you have Life you breathe in. The sweet air of what Paul lists here, The un- God's undeserved mercy. And you experience what you had never experienced before, peace with God through faith in Christ. Where you were severed and separated from God, you now have peace with God forever. And so we see that, and and I think all of that is Rather clear, but it's that last part, right? The Israel of God that gives us some pause. Now, there are various positions on how you work this out and how you can view this. You know, some, they think this is essentially distinguishing, you know, between Gentiles and Jewish believers. And it could be that. However, I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. So making this kind of distinction between Gentiles and Jewish believers, at this point in the letter to the Galatians, it would really, thinking back upon everything we've heard in this letter, it would fly against the very grain of this entire letter. Even more, it could it could even bring back the whole debate. If even like you know, giving a basis for Peter's actions. You know, in, in Galatians two verses eleven through fourteen, you know, it's like oh, they're the Gentiles, they're the Jews. You know, I'm I'm going to distance myself from the Gentiles. So that stark distinction between the two. You know, Peter, were you really wrong in making that kind of distinction? Or it might even fuel, even further fuel the arguments of the Judaizers. Ah, well, oh, yeah, Paul, see? I mean, yes, you do need those distinctives of the law and circumcision. That is what the Jew is. I mean, you need Jesus, sure, but the law and circumcision, you need those. That's what distinguishes them. Not Gentiles, sure, no? Well, they wouldn't say that. They would say, you're sure, yes, you want to be part of the people of God, you need that too. But you see the problem that this would bring. But Really, the whole letter at this point has said otherwise. And let's see this. So Paul, he has made it clear again and again that all who are in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, are children of the promise. They are part of the family of Abraham. Hence, Galatians 3 7 and 3 9, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham, a child of Abraham. And verse 9 So then those who are of faith in who? Christ are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith faith and then in Galatians 3 28-29 to make it even perhaps abundantly clear here there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are one in Christ Jesus and if you are Christ's then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise part of the family of Abraham And even more, he said in Galatians 4.28, as he's talking about Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac, he says in Galatians 4.28, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. And so as we come then to the end of this letter, he is not at this point changing his tune. No, I think he's simply saying what he's always been saying throughout this entire letter. Without dissolving the reality of an ethnic Israel, he is saying it is only those who are in Christ who are saved. It is these who are the people of God. And that has been part of the central issue, hasn't it? Throughout this letter. I mean, who are qualified to be called the people of God? That was a Judaizers issue. They were saying it is those who are circumcised who obey the law and have Christ. Is it that, or is it just those who know Christ by faith? And Paul's answer is the latter those who know Christ by faith. Amen. So, hence, here the Israel of God are both Jews and Gentiles. Incredible statement. And that is a reason for boasting, for wonder, for exaltation, for worship, and all that Christ has done. In Christ, we are his people. How could it be? How can it be? Outside of Jesus Christ. No boast in me. No boast in you, nothing but Christ. And so Paul, he ends then by saying that he bears these marks not of a fleshly, crossless, Christless life, but of faith wrought, cross centered. Christ-centered life. You see all these marks on my body? It's because I am about the cross of Jesus Christ and no one likes that. No one likes to be told they're a sinner. But I'm going to preach Christ crucified. And I will bear this cross and I'll appoint everyone to the Savior, Jesus Christ. So in view of all this, unashamedly, let your life, your life be a cross-centered, spirit-empowered life. And so here we are at the end of this letter. And as we began this morning, how terrible would it be to end at this point still fixed on ourselves still trying to be made right with God based on my efforts, if I just go to church enough, if I just read my Bible enough, if I just pray enough, maybe, just maybe, God will finally, finally, finally accept me. How terrible would it be that we would miss the whole of the letter of the Galatians at this point That we would remain in chains. We would keep our lists. We would keep a no righteousness, self righteousness. We would still be confident and dependent on ourselves. Well, friends, may that not be. May we throw off all of those this morning. May we simply look to Jesus Christ and be found in Him. He is enough. Him alone, He justifies. He makes me righteous. He appeases and satisfies the wrath of the living God. So lose your life that you may find it this morning. Throw off all that other stuff. You don't need it. All you need is Jesus. So flee to Him. And so if you don't know Christ this morning... Flee to Jesus. Put your faith in the one who loved you and came and died on the cross for you. He bore God's wrath in your place because whether you know it or not, one day if you're going to bear all this on yourself, that means all your sin, all your shame, all your guilt on that day, you will bear, which will mean hell forever. But Jesus came that that would not be that you would not experience the wrath of God, but that He experienced it in your place. All your sin, all your guilt, all judgment in your place, that you would cast off the chains, no longer be a slave to sin, but a child of God. Thank you, Lord. And so Jesus makes the way this morning. He is the way. And so if you don't know Him, hear this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise the Lord. Trust him. Believe in him. Hear the word of God this morning. And so in view of this powerful letter, may we be defined by this church, the glorious grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, he began this letter emphasizing grace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And if you know Christ, you're not part of that age. What does he say? New creation. And so he began with grace and now he ends with grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's what we get in the gospel. Life, new creation, forgiveness, grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your words here in the letter to the Galatians. As we end this letter this morning, help us not leave here this morning without ticking it to heart. How many exhortations and warnings and calls and even pleading has been seen and heard in this letter. So, may we hear it. If that means that someone here this morning, maybe right now, you're realizing I've only been trusting in myself. May, Lord, may they even now trust in Christ and put their faith in Him to flee themselves and trust in the righteousness of Christ. That he is enough. May they believe and be saved. Repent and turn to him. And may you help all of us, Lord, as we have so witnessed such a powerful call and exhortation and all these things of a call to live in view of the cross of Christ and live according to the cross of Christ, to live as those free in Christ, as those who are called to live by grace. So help us, Lord to be a church that magnifies that grace and shines it everywhere. Help us, Lord, to boast, and to boast greatly this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.